You can find it in the large print Bibles on page 1647 and in the Pew Bibles uh, 1064, 1064. So John 1, starting at verse 43. The next day, Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. Finding Philip, he said to him, follow me. Philip, like Andrew and Peter, was from the town of Bethsaida. Philip found Nathanael and told him, We have found the one Moses wrote about in the law, and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nazareth? Can anything good come from there? Nathanael asked. Come and see, said Philip. When Jesus saw Nathanael approaching, he said of him, Here truly is an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. How do you know me? Nathanael asked. Jesus answered, I saw you while you were still under the fig tree before Philip called you. Then Nathanael declared, Rabbi, you are the son of God, you are the king of Israel. Jesus said, you believe because I told you I saw you under the fig tree. You will see greater things than that. He then added, very truly I tell you, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Dominic. Well, good morning. Let me add my welcome to John's. My name's Anil Apti, I'm the Associate Minister here, if we haven't met. If we haven't met, do say hello to me after the service, it'd be great to get to know you a little bit better. Nowadays, so much about who we are is stored online, isn't it? The more you use the internet, Google, Facebook, Instagram, the more these companies profile you based on your likes and habits to try to understand exactly uh, how you tick so they can market different things to you. Even your shopping, giants like Tesco's, uh, Amazon, Ocado, uh, using very clever algorithms to predict uh, what you might like to buy next so they can help you, they say, fill up your shopping baskets. Now, we don't mind it so much when our regular coffee shop barista knows what we like to drink. But there's something unnerving about how much of who we are is now open naked and exposed on the internet for almost anyone to access and find. Some people go to great lengths to try to, to curate their digital persona, only posting up the, the absolutely perfect images of themselves with the lighting just right, or spending ages editing and, and tailoring their words until the perfect message is ready to post onto their wall. But when we were trying to give the world a false, more flattering impression of who we are? Or whether the kind of person who just says what's on our minds without caring? There are very few places online, at least, where we can hide. And even when you don't say something about yourself, someone else is likely to do so. Not too long ago, a lady made a data request to a, a major social media provider and she received over 4,000 pages back of data about herself that this company had harvested within a few years. Isn't that a little bit frightening? 
to have so much of who you are just out there somewhere waiting to be found. But in reality, in reality, all this data is meaningless, really. There's just too much of it. Too many different aspects of your life that collide for someone, even a, a supercomputer, even AI to make sense of. Not yet, at least. But I wonder, what if someone was able to make sense of all your data? What if someone was able to process all your purchases, all your orders, your Insta posts, your Facebook comments, your digital search history, our photos? What if someone was able to take all that data and to process those thousands and thousands of pieces of information about us and to come up with a conclusion of actually who we really are, what we are really like? Does that exposure fill you with dread or delight? This morning, God will show us that his son, Jesus Christ, the stairway to heaven, knows each of us completely. And I pray that this morning, God's intimate knowledge of you would make you thankful, not fearful. With that, please bow your heads to pray. Loving, gracious, heavenly Father, we thank you for your every good gift and blessing to us. We thank you for this gift of your word and pray now uh, that as I proclaim your truths by your spirit, you would help us to know and love you more. Amen. Our story continues where we left off last week. Do you have your Bibles open on page 1065, John chapter 1, beginning at verse 43? You remember so far that John the Baptist has been testifying that Jesus is the Lamb of God. Then the next day, two of his disciples, Andrew and perhaps, perhaps John who wrote this gospel, uh, they begin to follow Jesus. And the first thing Andrew does is to run and tell his brother, Simon Peter, who also then goes to follow Jesus. And now on the day after that, verse 43, we see the next disciple to follow Jesus. The three who have been following Jesus so far, Andrew, Peter, and perhaps John, uh, they'd all come based on the witnesses of someone else. Someone had testified to Jesus, who Jesus was, and they followed him on that. But here, it's Jesus himself who takes the initiative. Jesus goes out to both find Philip and then to call him to follow himself. But then immediately, John switches back to his big emphasis. That it's those who meet Jesus, who tell others, who testify, who bear witness to him. Verse 45. Philip found Nathanael and told him, We have found the one Moses wrote about in the law and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Remember what I said last week. Jesus uses his people to draw others to himself. Remember that 36% of Christians say that it was the witness of others who brought them to faith. And you remember, if you were here last week, that I encouraged us as a church to go out and to share the love of God that drew us to himself. Here we see Philip doing just that. After meeting Jesus, he's gone off to, to look, to find, to seek out Nathaniel and to share the good news with him also. I wonder, how have each of us got on with this in the last week? 
You remember, if you were here or if you listened online, that I asked us to pause and pray at the beginning of my sermon, to pray for someone who God might use each of us to share his love with. How did you do? I'd love to hear how you got on with it. Do share that with me after the service. Maybe, just maybe, you had a really great response and got into a deep conversation that led to someone joining you here at church this morning. If you are here because someone invited you to come and be with us, I'm so glad you made the decision to give up your Sunday morning and to spend it with us. I hope you find us here at Christchurch to be warm and welcoming, and I pray that you might come to know the love of God that he has for you one day. Maybe you didn't have a chance or the courage to do it. Don't worry. Keep praying about it and keep lifting that person to God. Remember, God loves them more than you do. Maybe you gave it a go and you had a really bad response. Sarcasm, laughter, rudeness, ridicule. If this happened to you last week, brothers and sisters, be encouraged. Be encouraged for being brave enough to talk about Jesus. But more than that, be encouraged because the same thing happened to Philip when he gave it a go. Look down at me at verse 46. Nathaniel says, Nazareth? I mean, actually, there's an exclamation mark there. It might have sounded more like, Nazareth? Can anything good come from there? Some people will hear our testimony, our witness about Jesus, and immediately begin to start following him, to start seeking after him. Thanks be to God for that. But others, and doing maths, no, 67% might not get it straight away. They might be hardened. They might be cynical. They might be plain rude to us. What does an oddball in a brown robe, big beard, and Jesus creepers from 2,000 years ago, what does he have to do with me anyway? The Bible, that's a dusty old book. What's that got to offer? Jesus, Jesus, Died and rose again. Whatever, mate, not interested. Jog on. The Bible is so helpfully real here in giving us an example of how some people might respond to our message. And remember, we see in plenty of other places in the Gospels much harsher responses, not just to Jesus' witnesses, but to Jesus himself, whose very testimony about himself had him hung on a cross. Our role, our responsibility is simply to share Jesus, to be witnesses to him, to tell others about him. That's all. We can't persuade someone to believe. Sure, we might be helpful. We might be uh, helped to break down some of the barriers that keep them a little bit further back from him. But we, we can't actually bring someone to faith. We can't even make ourselves a Christian. So why would we expect that we'd be able to have the power to bring someone else to faith? This power resides in God alone by his holy and life-giving spirit through the revealing of his one and only son, Jesus. That's what we see here with Nathaniel. That it took an encounter with Jesus himself to come to faith. In your heart, you know this is true for yourself. You may be someone who God uses to help him, to, to plant seeds, to water it, and so on. But what makes that seed, that word, grow, come alive in a person according to Jesus? It's the soil, isn't it, in which it's planted. We're told, as God's people, to scatter God's words, the seeds, around liberally, wherever. 
Not to worry if we're putting it in the best soil with the best sunlight and the best drainage. No. We're just to scatter and to leave God to grow it. We see this a bit more clearly a little bit later on in John's Gospel. If you flick forwards to John chapter 4, verse 42... This is that famous encounter with the woman at the well, who, after meeting Jesus, goes off and tells her whole town who he is. And her town, believing what she'd said, come out to meet Jesus. And then, verse 42, they say this. We no longer believe just because of what you said. What she said was important. God used that. But the town carry on. Now we have heard for ourselves And we know that this man really is the saviour of the world. Now flick back to where we were on John chapter 146. How does Philip respond to Nathaniel's cynicism? Does he give up? Does he walk away? Does he talk about the weather? No. What does he say? Read it, shout it out. What does he say in in verse 46? That's not shouting. Let's shout it out. Come and see. We are to testify, to be witnesses, to scatter seeds. But people will not come to faith in Jesus unless they meet Jesus himself. The Bible is so clear on this. Brothers and sisters, live godly lives. Be courageous and bring people to our events, our courses, our Christmas services. But if you really want to get about working hard for the Lord, bring those same people to Jesus by opening his words with them written in one of his biographies, the Gospels, and show them Jesus. When you talk with people about Jesus and they throw up their misconceptions or their false beliefs, invite them to come and see, to see Jesus for who he really is and what he claims about himself from the Bible. And we'd love to help you as that, with that as a church here. Do speak to me or drop me an email after the service. Come and see, Philip says. And so Jesus uses his people, in this case Philip, to draw others, now Nathaniel, to himself. And before Nathaniel can say a word to Jesus, Jesus says, Here is a true Israelite in whom there is nothing false. It seems that Nathaniel is a plain talker who says what he thinks and doesn't try to butter his words to make them sound better. And Nathaniel seems to have good self-awareness. I don't know about you, but if Jesus said to me, here is a true child of God who never speaks falsely, I would probably blush and say something like, who, me, Jesus? No, you must be on about someone else. You know that kind of false modesty British people are very good at? Unless you're on The Apprentice. <laughs> Nathaniel owns this compliment, verse 48. How do you know me? he says. It seems that what Jesus has said has struck Nathanael to the very center of who he is. Like Jesus could see into his very soul and has revealed his heart. Jesus answered, I saw you while you were under the fig tree before Philip called you. And to this rather straightforward but cryptic statement, Nathanael declares, Rabbi, meaning teacher, You are the Son of God, the King of Israel. I don't know about you, but as I read this, I think that Nathaniel has made quite a jump in his opinion of Jesus here. What's going on here? 
Well, on one level, Jesus is showing Nathaniel that he has the ability to see things without physically being there to see them happen. Like Superman, I guess, using superhuman x-ray vision to see something occurring miles away. That could explain it. And that in itself is, is pretty impressive, isn't it? And it shows that Jesus is this superhuman, divine, God-like power to see all things, to be omnipresent, to be everywhere at the same time. Jesus didn't know that Nathaniel was under the tree. No, he saw him, even though he wasn't there. But more than that, I think what is really going on here, what got Nathaniel to, to make such a bold claim about Jesus, was what he was doing in that moment under the fig tree. At that very moment, Nathaniel had a religious experience that no one but Jesus knew about. Maybe Nathaniel had been reading the story of Jacob's ladder that Jesus is about to explain. Maybe he'd been contemplating on being baptized by John the Baptist. Maybe he was thinking about the Messiah. Maybe he had prayed that the Messiah would reveal himself to him. We don't know. We don't know. The point is Nathaniel had something happen to him, an experience under that tree at that moment, and Jesus was saying, I know about the experience you shared only with God. Jesus didn't just see Nathaniel. Jesus knew him. Whoever you are, wherever you are, the Bible tells us that Jesus, the stairway to heaven, knows you completely. Jesus knows you. He knows what makes you happy. He knows what brings you joy. He knows you. He knows the great hardships you've been facing. He knows your pain. He knows your struggles. Your struggles with depression, your struggles with your children, your struggles with your family. He knows your addictions to alcohol, to drugs, to gambling, to pornography. He knows the anger and bitterness you harbor. He knows the resentment you have towards your spouse, perhaps, or your children. He knows your suffocating loneliness. He knows about your crippling debt. He knows the you behind your mask. The real you. Not the digitally curated avatar. He knows what you've been praying for. Jesus, the stairway to heaven, he knows you completely. Not just 4,000 pages of data, but infinite, immeasurable knowledge about you. David writes in Psalm 139, You search me, Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you, Lord, know it completely. You hem me in behind and before, and you lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. 
If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me, your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light become night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day, for darkness is as light to you. Brothers and sisters, Jesus, the stairway to heaven, knows you completely. He made you and he knows you. The creator of the universe zooms into this tiny rock orbiting the sun and takes notice of you. He sees you. He delights in you. And he knows you. Do you believe it? Will you allow yourselves to believe it? He knows you completely, not the version of yourself you present to the world, but the real you hiding behind it all. God knows every tiny detail of our lives, whether we believe in him or not. There is no place we can hide for him, no thought in our heads that is unknown to him. For some people, the idea that someone could know them in this much detail is terrifying. We might wonder, how can God see the naked truth of who I am and not reject me? Because if God knows the real me, he'd want nothing to do with me. Brothers and sisters, God sees the real you. And he wants you to know him. Not because of who you are. Not because of what you've done. But because of who he is. And what he has done for you. He knows you. And he loves you as well. And as we celebrate in a couple of weeks at Christmas, he came to this earth to bring you into a relationship with God his Father. Verse 51, Jesus says, I tell you the truth. You shall see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. One of the forefathers of God's people, Jacob, had a dream in a sacred place of a stairway between heaven and earth on which angels moved freely between the two realms. When Jacob woke, he said, How awesome is this place! This is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. Jacob's dream of a way to gain access to the God of heaven came true in Jesus. Jesus' very body is the gateway to heaven. Through his death on the cross, he has broken down all barriers between God and all of mankind. Through him, we have free and unhindered access to God the Father at any time through prayer for now, but face to face when we die believing this truth. Brothers and sisters, Jesus is the stairway to heaven who knows you completely. And he came to earth so that you would come to know him and his Father. Amen.